so my name is Ariel Lovett, and I volunteer um, as the member, as the voter services chair for the League of Women Voters. The League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan organization dedicated to encouraging an informed, active participation in government that empowers our citizens to help shape better communities. Um, I'm going to be really brief, but just want to share a few thank yous to um, the county administration for the, the use of the Rood Center tonight. Um, also, our media partners that are with us this evening, KNCO and Ubinet, as well as Nevada County Media, who is um, streaming this online, and also it will be available through YouTube through their services. Also, our volunteers, both that are here with us this evening that make this possible, as well as um, putting it together. And I really want to acknowledge um, our co-president, Jan Bedane, who for years has um, put a tremendous effort into making these forums, bringing these forums to our community. Um, also, thank you to the audience that will be submitting questions and to our community members who submitted questions ahead of time. Um, tonight, so we, there are four candidates. We have three with us tonight. Heather Hadwick was not able to make it, but we have Mark Mazzano, Melissa Hunt, and Tanessa Audette here with us this evening, which is our last forum. So we had two forums last week for our um, local supervisorial, two of our local supervisorial districts, and this will be the last one for the year. Just quickly, um, reminders that your voter information guides will be arriving now. Um, ballots will be mailed by February 5th and can be returned in a variety of ways um, as soon as they're received. We encourage you to visit the League of Women Voters of Nevada County website, which has a ton of information about um, that you can find to become that engaged, informed um, electorate. Um, a reminder that we hold these forums as a safe venue to share ideas and vision within our community and expect respectful discourse both among the candidates as well as ourselves, even if we disagree. Um, a couple other things out in the lobby, we have uh, pros and cons information available from the League of Women Voters, um, as well as your easy voter guide for 2024 that just came out. Um, with that, we also encourage everyone to become a member. Some people still don't know that the League of Women Voters absolutely um, welcomes and encourages um, folks of all genders to be part of the league and share in our mission. So information about that is in the lobby as well. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Marsha Birch and thank you so much, Marsha, for volunteering tonight. Good evening, uh, my name is Marsha Birch and I'll be the moderator this evening. And we have three candidates here and I wanna thank all of you for taking time out of your schedule to be here tonight. Uh, we do appreciate it. Uh, tonight, the candidates will begin with opening statements, and then we will move to questions that each will have an opportunity to answer. The candidates drew cards before we got started to determine the order of the opening statements, and the questions will follow, um, at, and I'll sort of alternate the start of the question. Uh, in addition to audience questions, we have our media panel here tonight, oh, and the union representative has arrived. Okay, so we have Jennifer Nobles from the union. Uh, we also have Chris Gilbert from KNCO. And from Ubinet, we have Pascal Fussholer. And they will also be posing questions that each of the candidates will have an opportunity to answer. The candidates will have two minutes for their opening statements and then one minute to respond to each of the questions. And the candidates each have two rebuttal cards. 
So if at some point during the proceedings you would like to have one minute of rebuttal, just let me know and then the timer will start. Uh, our timer here will, um, will uh, give you a 30 seconds, 30 seconds left uh, warning and then time's up when the time's up. And if you, once that time's up card comes up, you can just wrap up whatever sentence you're uh, in. Okay. So at the end of the evening, we'll thank the candidates with applause. We won't uh, do that uh, during the questions uh, and answers. And we'll go ahead and start opening statements. And our first opening statement will come from Mark Mazzano. Good evening, thank you. Uh, uh, there we go. Thank you, and uh, good evening. Uh, it's certainly an honor and a privilege to be here this evening with the League of Women Voters. I applaud you on your efforts to bring out uh, uh, this product and make the voter more informed and more intelligent to elect the best possible candidate to service us in the 1st District. You know, um, a little bit about me. I, I retired from the California Highway Patrol after 29 years. I retired with honors. And I've got quite the background there in 29 years, working in our headquarters here in Sacramento and throughout both Southern and Northern California. My, my background is primarily in law enforcement, but I've been on the Reading City Council now for, for three years. I served as the mayor pro tem my first two years. Last year, I was the vice mayor. And this year, I'm back to being a councilman, and I'm fulfilling my commitment to the city with four years of government work in Reading. I'm most proud of the fact that while on the council, the city of Reading's police department now has the most sworn personnel in the history of the police department. Our fire department is fully staffed which means they can enter a building, building, a burning building without waiting for backup. And we did it without raising taxes. And that's what I'm really proud of. We also focus on the homeless in Reading. We have a very robust program there with the pallet shelters. That's our newest program. We're also working on a, a new uh, multi-city program with uh, the different city managers and legislators from all three cities in the area uh, to build a day center. And we're working on that. You know, the top concerns in this district, that as I've traveled around the district, are public safety, water and fire management, and economic development. And I look forward to the next six months being out there meeting with all of you and discussing the issues and your solutions that might make its way to Sacramento with me to fight for. So thank you. Thank you. And our next opening statement will come from Melissa Hunt. Good evening. Thank you again also for having this forum. It's a great opportunity for all voters to hear all of us. Um, I was born and raised in the North State, and uh, except for my years in college, my, I've lived here all my life, and I came back from Southern California to attend college in the university in Anderson, or well, in Anderson, sorry, in Shasta County and um, got my BA degree in LA and my master's degree in education in writing at Simpson University. I'm a former educator and loved being in the classroom, was looking for more, and found myself applying to uh, city council and was appointed in city council in 07 and elected in 08. I have served with excellence in representing our constituents and have moved our city from the council being a um, like the good old boys club and therefore the position more than the representation and visiting and working with and helping 
the constituents, the, represent, the, the residents of Anderson. And we have turned our city council around, our town around. We are now a city of public safety. You are safe in the city of Anderson. And um, our children are our focus. Our families are our focus. We have mesmerizing Christmas tree lightings, like Hallmark stories or movies. It's a great city, and we are thriving because of things that we have done and good decisions supported by our residents. They have the last say, period. Uh, things that we need to look at for the district is we have to focus on forest management. You need to clean, we need to clean up the floors of our forestry, our forest period, and um, bring back logging to our, our communities in the rural areas for jobs and for the small communities. And then um, homelessness has got three different facets that we have to cover, and I would love to spend some time and speak with you about them. Thank you. Thank you. And now we will hear an opening statement from Tanessa Audet. Hi, thank you so much for making your way out here um, and for those that are watching. Um, my name is Tanessa Audet. I am the mayor of Reading. Uh, my degree is in political science. Um, I've always loved history. My dad is a veteran. I have veterans on both sides of my family. And so history, knowing where we came from, has always been a big part of my life. Um, I studied political science at Sonoma State, um, graduated, worked in business um, and uh, for DeWalt Power Tools and um, made our way up to Reading um, about 11 years ago. I have three children. We came up to Northern California to put our kids in better schools and in a community that um, cared very much about how much time parents got to spend with their kids. And so um, it's been a, a joy to be up there. Um, I ran for office um, wanting to make uh, things better in my city and wanting to influence it in a positive way. I, I don't get angry or upset. I'm probably the happiest person in politics that I know because I just believe that all things are possible if you work hard enough. For the last eight years, I ran political campaigns. I was a campaign manager, have my own company doing that. Um, for the last four and a half years, I have been working as a district representative for the Senate's first district, which, which encompasses Nevada County. So I'm quite familiar with the issues that we have on a daily basis. I am helping constituents navigate state agencies, navigate the issues um, that come up and fighting for um, the rights that we have here in California. Um, I have been serving on the city council um, and just became, um, it is my rotation into the mayorship and um, I've taken that very seriously to really emphasize how important local control is and to make the case and to advocate for um, locals having a say in what happens in Sacramento. So I look forward to talking to you more. I look forward to your questions. And um, I was canvassing today. I'll be back canvassing soon. So love to, to talk more. Thank you. All right, so we will turn to the questions. We're gonna start with a question from the community. Um, and then we'll go to a, a media question. So the first question, and Mark, you'll, you'll start uh, as the first one to answer the first question. The problem of obtaining affordable fire insurance is getting harder and harder to resolve. The California Fair Plan seems to be suffering from too much demand, and the system seems to be breaking. What would you do to resolve this problem? It's absolutely broken, and the insurance commissioner is responsible for that, and I think we need to find a new one. You know, the insurance companies are in it to make money. 
And I, I think what we're doing is we're failing as constituents by not uh, making our homes harder, harder for fire. And, and the insurance companies are looking at that. And one of the issues I've, I've found in talking to constituents is there's a thought out there that maybe your insurance rate should go based on your parcel number, not your zip code. Because if you do a great job of keeping your property clean and, and, and fire-free, and your neighbor's not, you're paying for that. And so I think that's a, an excellent opportunity or a choice. Uh, but we have to go back to the, to the insurance companies at a higher level and bring them into the picture so that they can see what we're trying to do here in California. And the biggest part of it is clearing our forest fuels and, and thinning the forest and opening up the canopies, just like they were 50 years ago. Bring it back to local control where they know what they're doing. Thank mm. you. Uh, Melissa, same question. So I spoke about being a former teacher. I am a real estate agent now. And yes, these are ruining the cost of fire insurance for homes is ruining the dream of owning your own home and for new buyers. And we have to deal with it. Yes, it is a broken system. Um, I'm also a believer that it has gone to one end of the pendulum and things have to change. The insurance commissioner, um, they tout, if you talk to anybody from his office, oh, he's busy, he's busy doing this and doing that. And in reality, he's not been doing anything um, because the situation still is existing and we need solutions. Um, I do believe there will be an automatic correction. I'm also open to talking to people who have experienced this. My brother is one of them. Um, totally clears his property all the time, and he got um, his prop or his um, funds were raised so high that he had to go to the California Fair Plan, and it's not doing the job. It's like Obamacare. It's inept. So thank you. Thank you. And the same question to Tanessa. I would say um, one of the calls that we get constantly is about insurance. I had a woman come into my office um, just a few weeks ago, and she was trying to get out of California. She'd sold her home, but the buyers could not get on the fair plan. They were having trouble, and so she wasn't able to close, and they asked for our help. We were able to turn that around, but this is happening on a daily basis. You being able to sell your home or to buy a home, to insure your home, not being reinsured, not having it up is happening all over the state. It's not just in Northern California. So this is an issue that has to be dealt with. But, you know, Prop 103 restricts how much you can actually increase the fees. But unfortunately, if you don't increase them at all, then we're going to have a crisis situation, which we're in now. If you want different policies, you're going to have to hire different policymakers. You're going to have to hire different leadership. And that's the first thing that we can do is vote differently. Um, of course, uh, we can home harden. You can have private insurance, um, firefighting to protect your home with private insurance. Um, I think the earthquake authority would be something interesting to look at for, for, fire, for wildfire protection. There's lots of different ideas out there, but we need to have the political will to push for those things and to make sure that we don't take what happened at the end of the legislature happens again where they take no action at all. We have to have something. Thank you. All right, so um, we're going to go ahead and take a media question, and we'll start with KNCO, Chris Gilbert. Good evening, candidates. Uh, what are your suggestions on improving California's fiscal situation in light of the current state budget deficit? I, I, I'm going to go ahead. 
yes, you're first okay. on this question. <laughs> Just want to make sure. Okay. Um, thank you, sir. So um, our business situation is we have been, as they would say, impact in business community uh, for the all the legal things that we have to do and live by um, from Sacramento. It, yes, it's in the legislation, legislatures, but it's also coming from the governor as well. Um, if you think, of, think back a while, you'll see that there's trucks, the 18-wheelers only have one trailer. They used to have two. Um, they, are, they suffocate, they're suffocating our businesses out of California. I come from an area where we worked hard to work with our businesses and we help them. As a legislature, I will help them and go after the specific legislation that has already been put in place and is suffocating out our businesses. Thank you. Thank you. And the same question to Tanessa. Um, I would immediately cut taxes. I would cut business taxes. If we meddle into markets and we have mandates for what markets can and cannot do, then those markets, when it's un um, unsustainable, will leave. And that's what's happening. One of the recent polls shows that of the 1.4 million Californians that have left, 70% of them are making over $200,000. That's our tax base. So if you stop overtaxing, over-regulating markets, attacking the energy sector, if you can stop doing that and stop mandating ideologies and actually start allowing the free market to do what it was made to do, you're going to have businesses that want to stay, that come back. You're going to have taxpayers that can afford to actually live here. But the mandates on how you build homes, you have to have solar, you have to have sprinklers. That just doesn't work throughout all of California. So this one size fits all, this one policy for an entire state with 32 million people, that's massive. It just doesn't work and it's driving people out. Thank you. And the same question to Mark. Basically, you gotta get government to get out of the way and let the businessman do what they do the best, run their business. You know, we live and die in government with sales tax. And if the business isn't prospering, there's no sales tax being collected. And if you lose your sales tax, you lose your police and you lose your fire. And that's unfortunate, but that's the reality of it. I wouldn't support any new taxes, and I'd look for every opportunity to reduce the taxes. You know, if, you, if we can get government to get out of the way, no business person wants to fail. And we can let them do what they do best in running their companies. The other thing we've got to look at is in California, CEQA. It's just making life very difficult and very hard to start new businesses when you have to go in and, and do all of these rules and regulations that are being created by bureaucrats in Sacramento. Just leave us alone in the North State where we can do what we do best and we can run our safe in a, in a, in a great way. All right, thank you. So uh, we will turn now to another question that was submitted by a member of the community. Uh, what specific actions will you take to help reduce fire danger to your constituents? And Tanessa will start. Well, that's a, that's a big question, right? So um, I would say, of course, home hardening is always really important for um, the actual uh, resident. So what they can do to protect their home to create defensible space is always going to be important. Um, but really what it comes down to is that the federal government needs to clear the forest. They need to clean it up. And um, our state is 
oftentimes points to the federal government because it's their lands that are the most mismanaged, but we have to use what we can to force that to happen. If we have to sue the federal government to get them to maintain those lands, then that's what we have to do. But we can't sit back and, and have wildfire after wildfire and expect that it's going to miraculously be fixed because I've been up to the Caldor fire scar. I've been to car fire. You know, we have whole communities that are being burned down, paradise. This is not happening for any reason other than we've mismanaged what we've been tasked to take care of, and that's our environment. That's the forests, and so if we are logging, if we're clearing, not clear cutting with nothing, but clearing the actual floors, then we're going to have far less intense fires, and that's going to be the way to start beginning biomass, um, you know, mills, the things that actually matter in these small communities that have mattered in the past and that have solved this issue. That's what needs we need to get back to. Thank you. Now the same question to Mark. Well, you know, when it comes to the fires, certainly one of the things that's affecting, uh, when you talk about the insurance, the seniors that are in their homes and, and they're being evicted because they can't afford their fire insurance. Look, I was just recently asked to sign a letter uh, called A Call to Action. It was by Senator, uh, Doug LaMalfa and McClintock. And it's, it's going after the federal government and their let it burn policy. That's destroying our forests. We need to manage our forests like we did 50 years ago. I'd like to bring back some of the small mills and let them go in there and open up the canopy so that the fires don't run so hot. And then also by clearing the ground fuel. You know, I was evacuated during a, one of the wildland fires in Reading, and it's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. It really uproots your lifestyle. But you look at what's going on out there, and you've got to say that if we would just go back in and take care of business locally, you know, we could take care of it. Sacramento doesn't realize it when they're sitting down there in their air-conditioned office, what we're dealing with up in the North State, 115-degree temperatures. It just turns the forest into a matchbox. And if you're going to deal with that and, and survive it, then the best thing to do is clear the ground fuels and open the canopies. Thank you. And our final answer will come from Melissa. So forestry or forest management is a main goal for um, wildfires and the home hardening is important, but there's a large population that are seniors. So what are the seniors going to do if they haven't done it over the years or they live in a place and they're unable to do that? So that part has to be addressed. Um, Sacramento is good about um, putting out a solution, but the solution does not fit Northern California. And we have to find a solution that fits Northern California. And we can start with, yes, the clearing of the floor of the forest. Putting logging back in our rural communities will not only um, help thin out the forest, but it will bring jobs to our rural communities as well. And we have to think that direction, CAL FIRE, they need to be getting along with all other agencies. I want to be at the table and bring those agencies together so we can work together to, thank you, sorry, time's up. <laughs> thank you. So uh, the next question will come from one of our media panelists uh, from the union this time, and Mark will be the first to answer. Hi, thank you everyone for being here. Um, my name is Jennifer Nobles. I'm with the Union Newspaper. Um, and we were just talking about uh, seniors being exploited in a number of different ways, whether it's insurance or scams, what have you. Um, I would like to look at the other end of the spectrum and see 
I mean, I'm 45 years old. I have a great job. I'm a native of Nevada County. However, it's not realistic for me to buy a home. What could you do to help younger people uh, be able to reach that goal? Because I'm not alone. This is a massive. You're absolutely not alone in that. It's 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 a it's a terrible situation. You're. You want your family, your children to realize their, their dream of home ownership. The only way we're going to be able to do that is to bring the price down. And you bring the price down by reducing the price of the materials. You also have to work with the public and private sector. There are grants available to make affordable homes. That's a big push in Reading right now. Uh, Technology is coming away. We're, we're the first city in the state to produce a 3D printed home out of cement. The build time was very short. And it's a beautiful product, and it's coming in at a lower price than we originally expected. It will come in cheaper. So for the, for the young new homeowner, there are opportunities out there. Certainly, obviously, we've got to bring the interest rates down. And we're only going to do that by getting involved you know, at, at a higher level. And, and I can tell you there is a builder in California that is offering 4.9 on their homes, and their homes are equipped with sprinklers and they're offering their own insurance. They're the largest builder in America, and they're right here in California. Thank you. And the same question to Melissa. So I totally understand and agree with where you're at. Um, this is also another reason why businesses and families and people are leaving California, is it's too expensive. Yes, we need to bring down interest rates. Let's talk to Biden. I'll go first. You want to come with me? <laughs> and when it comes down to it also, there are grants out there. So I would not own a house if I had not um, bought my house 27 years ago. And I bought my house as a low-income teacher in a private school. And one of the programs that I used was the DAP loan, and it's Down Payment Assistance Program. There are... Uh, programs out there that we need to make sure our community members know about. Yes, interest rates need to come down. Yes, prices of homes need to come down. But, um, heck, man, let's go after those grants that will help individuals like yourself buy a home. Thank you. And the same question to Tanessa. Yeah, I mean, government. the government of California has over 400,000 regulations. We have over-regulated all of our markets into being unfeasible. So it's just supply and demand. The, the market is asking for homes, but we can't provide them because they're too expensive. If you would, need to, you would need to have solar, you need to have sprinklers, you need to do things that the market is not saying that they want, but the state of California says you have to have. And so when it finally gets to the market for people to buy, they can't afford to buy that product. It costs too much, and it doesn't have the amenities that they're actually looking for. So we need to deregulate. Um, this, is, this is simple economics. 400,000 laws. The next closest state is, is uh, New York with half of that. If we want to meddle into every aspect and make every choice for Californians, then they're going to have no choice but to leave. And we certainly won't be able to buy homes and live the American dream. So I, if you want to change and make it affordable to buy a home, then you're going to have to pick people that have different policies that are not trying to determine exactly what your home should look like and what should be the amenities on it, but that you would get to decide that. 
Thank you. So the next question is also one that was submitted by a member of the community, and the first answer will come from Melissa. This is a long one. Uh, though we seem to have adequate rainfall this year, drought is always a threat in California. NIDs, that's the, our irrigation district, Nevada Irrigation District. NID's recent study predicts water supplies will run short of what is needed for the agricultural community and treated water services. These shortages will impact economic development, housing, and agriculture in Nevada County and in all of District 1. What actions will you take to protect access to water for farmers, ranchers, homeowners, and the native speci species such as fish? And there's a second part to this question. What is your opinion of the Centennial Dam project? So when it comes to water in Northern California, first of all, um, I have been here long enough to experience the drought of 77 and Shasta Lake drying up. And we could walk as kids, we could walk in the mud of Shasta Lake. But in February of the next year, 78, um, it, in, in February, one month, it filled back up. And we've have heard in the news recently that um, Shasta Lake has come up 10 or 12 feet in the last week because of the water that we've had. So we know that that will come, but we have to build the site's water reservoir. We have to uh, look into other reservoirs as well. Um, we should not be having to sell our water to Southern California. By golly, they need to make their own reservoirs as well. Um, I stand pretty strong on that. Um, yes, and also your irrigation system, our irrigation system, ACID, up in Shasta County, down into Tehama, um, it actually did not have water last year because water was so expensive. And it did not, we didn't realize um, how that system is holding, um, well, it's scientific terms, and I'm not going to even, she puts that stop sign up there and scares the heck out of me. Um, but we had very large problems, and we still have problems with ACID. And that's not a, a, a solution either to just stop the water. Thank you. All right, the same question to Tanessa. Um, obviously, if you've lived in California at all, that you know that droughts come. It's a, it's a cyclical thing. So we, there, it's going to come again. We've had it before. It will happen again. And I think in all issues that we have in California, we should be the leaders of innovation. And so Sites Reservoir, of course, storage, that's, you know, that's an innovation that already exists, that we have funded Sites Reservoir several times. We've voted for it. Um, you know, it's time to be built. Um, it just makes sense to store water for um, years where uh, rainfall is not plenty. But we should also be looking into desalinization plants. There's other ways to innovate to be able to um, protect the water that we have and to use best the water that exists if, for some reason, water's not flowing from the sky. Um, but in, in many of the, of the different instances, all, as always, we have to always be pushing back on the government trying to infringe on the rights that we have. And our water rights are our water rights. And of course, the government is going to want to spread it out to everybody, but we have to push back on that. When we have water and we have water rights, just because there's a need somewhere else in the state doesn't mean they get to infringe on those rights. Um, but it also doesn't mean that we should not be coming up with better solutions. So good choices. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right. And the same question to Mark. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you, you have to support water distribution and the infrastructure. Our infrastructure is very aging, and it's just not doing a good job. I would advocate for general budget dollars to, to rebuild and, and improve our, our, our infrastructure. You know, I, I, the water in California feeds and serves 34 million people, but it generates $38 billion in agricultural products that are shipped all over the world. So it's very important. We have the water. We just can't move it anywhere. There's two programs out there other than the Sites Reservoir, which I think is very viable and needs to be built. It's been being talked about for 20 years. But you've got the Twin Tunnels and the Delta Tunnel Project. Now, it's 40 miles of tunnel that they want to move water from the Central Valley all the way down into the Delta. If we can manage the Deltas at capacity, then we can move that water where we need it for the farmers. I mean, I'm up in Thule Lake, and I'm watching the gymnasium sink into the ground because there's no water up there. But we have the water. We just have to be able to move it, and that's what we're not being able to do. And I would tell you that I've lived in California now for 25 years. I've seen the lake come and go. I've seen it very low, and I've seen it very high. And it went up six feet just this last week. And it's going to happen. It's cyclical. And, and so for me, it's, it's all about the infrastructure. Thank you. All right, so we will now take another media question. And Tanessa, you'll be the first to answer this one. Um, we're going to go to you, Bennett, and Pascal Fussholer is going to ask a question. Good evening, candidates. So um, let's talk infrastructure. Um, California has um, a problem with water, with power, mm -hmm. with connectivity. And given the current composition of the assembly, you will in all likelihood be in a very small minority. So how do you propose to um, bring some of those grants that you speak of and some of the, the funding to this assembly district, uh, given that A, you're going to be in a real minority and that population density in the district is, well, it's pretty sparse compared to the rest of California. How, so how are we going to bring infrastructure? Well, I think you have to make the argument. I, I, I know one of the things that our previous legislators have done was bring people up here. They brought them to Tahoe. They brought them to Grass Valley. They brought them to see what it is that we're talking about because nothing's going to substitute from actually having that experience yourself. This is one of the most beautiful places in all of California. And I've lived in Southern California. I went to college there. went to college up in the north. Um, I have family throughout all of California. And when you can see something and experience it, it's a lot easier to want to manage it and take care of it. So I think it's a matter of articulating what it is our needs are. And, and everybody can understand that we need water. Everybody can understand. When you tell people in LA that we have areas that don't even have an, the internet, that kids have to drive an hour to take a math test because they don't have a math teacher, and they don't have the internet to be able to go online to take that test. That's shocking to them, but we have to tell them that. They have to understand that there are places without broadband very close to where uh, an hour from an airport, and they have no broadband. They have no way to connect to people. So I don't think that they're presently aware of that because they have issues in their own districts. But I think it's important to bring them out here. I think it's important to tell the story, to explain that. Having people coming from the district to testify in committees, all of these things tell our story in a way that should move people. And it doesn't matter what party you're in. They, they, should, they do all care about people. Thank you. All right, so the same question uh, to Mark. 
Well, I think the, 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 certainly the easiest thing to do is educate the voters. Yes, you are right. We are a super minority up here in the North State. You're absolutely right about it. And our population density is not the same as in the metropolitan areas. But we're making the food. We're making the food that they want to eat in San Francisco and in Los Angeles and in San Diego. And they can't get that food if we don't have the water. So, yes, we want to bring the legislators up to the North State and show them what we're dealing with up here? Absolutely. It's been done before. It'll be done again. We just need to educate them. And because we are a minority up here in Sacramento, we use the voters in the rest of the state to put pressure on their legislator. Their legislator can then come and look at our system and what we're doing and, and, and realize the importance of protecting the water system that we need for the food that we want to eat. And we can't do that without support from the other side. So it's about having a conversation. And you have to have a conversation with them and, and get them to see your side of it. We won't always agree, but we have to work in the best interest of not only our constituents in the North State, but also their constituents throughout the rest of California. Thank you. And the same question for Melissa. So as I've made my way around the district, um, 11 counties, the biggest thing that came out to me, which I was quite surprised on, because I'm from Shasta County, and we've got the largest population with Nevada County right there too, um, but was lack of representation, that you don't see representatives very much, and if in any, actually. And that bothered me. You guys, everybody, all of us need to be represented. And so I'm going to make sure that um, my communication with the district will not be a matter of, I've done this this week, but it's a matter of this is coming up. Whoops. Uh oh that was water on the wires. Um, it will be more of a, um, I'm going to do this next week. I need your help as a partner to work through this to discuss where you are at this point as well. Also, in the way of Sacramento specifically, I have been very involved in the League of California Cities and have held multiple positions within the League of California Cities, which is a, um, a lobby group for cities. And up and down the state, I have worked with elected officials. It is not hard to do that. It's just a matter of we're all humans and we need to discuss. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so the next uh, question is from the community. It's also a long one. Uh, <laughs> they, they get shorter after this. Um, okay, the Sierra Nevada was the heart of the gold mining in California. Many of these mines have never been reclaimed, creating both physical and chemical hazards. Now with the price of gold so high, pressure to open new mines in the area seems to be building. What responsibility do these modern miners opening new mines on or near old mines have in cleaning up the mess caused by the legacy mines? Oh, I'm sorry. And Mark, you're the first one to answer oh, this one. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, a, an issue that just came up here recently, and your board of supervisors up here voted to uh, kill it. The, the, and the theory and the thought was that the, the, the mining process was going to infiltrate the groundwater system, and that gets into your drinking water. And that wasn't un was unacceptable to your Board of Supervisors, so they, they got rid of it. You're going to have to go back and look at the science and come up with a better solution. The old ways don't work. And you get into a Superfund site when it comes to cleanup, if you get into a position like that with the mining. 
you know, it, it, it's a company that is in the business of mining gold, and it's very expensive. It's worth a lot today, and so they wanted to open that mine back up. But your council, your board of supervisors stood strong, and they defeated it. Thank you. And the same question for Melissa. Um, as a lifelong resident of the North State, I grew up mining um, gold panning more than anything with my family and my grandparents. And um, I have uh, jewelry to prove it. <laughs> and um, I think we need to be able to mine. It is what we were raised on. I think there's a time where um, it's coming where we're, you know, with all this rain that is expected and the rains that we've had recently, as in the last decade, um, there's more to be mined out there. When I say mine, I mean panned more than anything. Um, but we should be able to mine. But I also know that as the fourth grade teacher that I was, there's a lot of great gold rush history around there, around here. And I know that, that citizens have a, um, an op opinion. And as your elected official, I will represent you. And if you say no, I will say no. Just like um, the raising of Shasta Lake, they wanted to do that. That's, let's raise the lake. You know what? The citizens said no. And as their elected official, I would say no as well. Thank you. Thank you. And Tanessa, the same question. Um, we have some projects like this that have happened in Shasta County, and it's always um, this delicate balance of, you know, business wanting to come in to do something, but the constituency is, you know, you have to explain to them and sell them on this idea. And so I can tell you for sure what I wouldn't do is I wouldn't override local control and take that control of the state to say you have to do this or you can do this or, you know, no more local control on these issues, which has happened time and time again, where the locals say, we don't want this development or we don't want mining or we don't want, you know, you name it, um, in our town, and then the state comes in and overrides it. I, I think local control matters. I think the community has to decide how they want their community to run. And when the people speak up and say that they don't want something, that's what has to stand. If they can convince you it's safe, it's not going to hurt your drinking water, it's not going to affect, it's not going to be a noise hazard, it's not going to be all of those things, then if the community changes their mind, they do. But local control is what matters, and I can tell you that at the state level, I will fight to make sure that you have that local control. Thank you. All right, so we, uh, Melissa, you'll be the first to answer the next question, and it will come from Chris Gilbert uh, at KNCO. Is there anything the legislature can or should do about skyrocketing utility rates? Is regulation needed, uh, for instance, with PG&E? Uh, good news, first of all, for the supervisor that hits here, that sits here, I've dusted everything. It looks really good now. Sorry, my apologies. Um, so, yes, uh, PG&E should be regulated and caps should be put on um, prices as well. I know that Darnwell right now, they're, tr they're going through our uh, communities, putting everything underground. And by the way, they need to be held um, accountable for what they're doing to our roads as well and they need to put things back um, the way they found them, if not better. As a real estate agent, um, they came onto a property that had a burned down house, um, my own personal um, experience, 
and they acted like nobody cared about this property. Well, I, was, I had it as a listing, and by golly, you have to speak up. They are good about working and fixing things, but they'd even taken down the only thing that made it through the fire, and that was the flagpole. And by golly, I barked loud enough to where um, the flagpole was replaced, and some of the road that they had messed up was um, fixed as well. But we have to have our voice heard, and yes, CAPS is where I'm standing with them. Thank you. Thank you. And the same question to Tanessa. I think that if we allowed um, the utility companies to use the, the free market, I think we'd be in a better position, and that specifically would be nuclear power. If we allowed uh, PG&E to actually let Diablo Canyon do what it's made to do, then uh, utility rates would be lower for everybody. It's clean, um, it's efficient, and it would lower the cost for everybody. If we didn't meddle in um, eliminating natural gas, if we didn't um, try to ban um, oil, if we didn't try to actually meddle in those markets, I think we'd have much more affordable uh, resources, including our utilities. I know up in um, Reading, we have our own electric utility, and you know we've had to let go of things that were very profitable to us that kept the rates down um, for our uh, constituents. And so it's important that there is some level of control for those businesses to be able to um, you know, lower their costs by actually providing energy that is good, clean, and can provide for all of California if we allowed it to. Thank you. And the same question for Mark. Well, the most recent fine that was levied on PG&E, one of the rules in that settlement was they weren't allowed to raise the rates to cover the cost of the fine. And that's the government making that happen. And that's, that's really one time when the government did something good for us, all right? Um, they can't be allowed to just raise their rates when they can't do their job the way they're supposed to do it. Uh, you know, living in Reading, I can tell you I'm very fortunate that I have the city of Reading Electric. My bill is half of what somebody living over in the PG&E side. And PG&E's got a lot of work to do. We, we need to uh, push them towards, cuts out, push them towards burying a lot of the cables underground it's just going to be an expensive process, but they're in the business to make money, and they're making it off the backs of the citizens by charging these high rates. And I do believe that there are other forms of energy out there that we could take advantage of. One of them would be the, the, to develop these small nuclear reactors, uh, not as big as Diablo, but smaller that we could move uh, and build in certain parts of the state where we could provide the electricity that, that we need, and we could provide it uh, cleaner and cheaper for, for all of us in in society. Thank you. All right, so we'll turn to another community question. And Tanessa, you'll be the first to answer this one. Okay. Uh, Nevada County has seen an increase in overdose deaths in recent years. Please tell us your thoughts about solutions to the opioid problem, including harm reduction and law enforcement strategies. I might just have to pick one of those. So yes, we have a major um, drug problem. The, the borders are open. Um, fentanyl is uh, cheap for them to get. You only need small amounts of it and they can kill people. I think one of the bigger issues is that it's not being laced with things, it's being replaced for pills. And so kids are taking one pill, adults, students, um, and it's, it's killing them on one dose. So we have a major epidemic. We have a, a, an open supply chain is coming 
nonstop and it's infiltrating. It's not just, you know, you don't know what you're getting. Um, and so it's not just a killer, it's deceptive. So what are the things that can be done? You can close the border. That would be number one. You could enforce that. You know, our police forces are overtaxed as it is with the situations that we have with homelessness and, and how they're moving people around, unable to actually um, put them in jails. Our prisons are over, you know, being closed, so our jails are overrun. So there's lots of different things that you can do. Don't close prisons. You're going to have to keep them open to have law and order. If you, I heard someone say, like, let's make crime illegal again. Uh, changing Prop 47 would help. You have to enforce the law. Without law and order, we're not a country. If you can't enforce what it is that we've said we don't want to live with, then you're going to have a continuing epidemic of deaths at every age group at the hands of fentanyl. Thank you. And the same question for Mark. Well, the first thing I do is close the border. It's the illegal fentanyl that's coming across the border that's killing our, our people, killing our children. You know, my wife is an operating room nurse, and they use fentanyl in the operating room, but it's very controlled, and we're talking micrograms, not what these kids are seeing out on the streets. So I would definitely want to close the border. I can tell you that we need to bring stiffer penalties back for the fentanyl crimes. You know, we've had one district attorney here in the North State that's had two successful prosecutions for murder on the illegal use of fentanyl. I'd like to see more of that. Up here in the North State, we back the blue. We back our police. We need to give them the authority and the resources to go out there and fight this fentanyl addiction that's plaguing our state. And then once we do that, we need to give the attorneys, the district attorneys, the ability to prosecute these felons and hold them accountable. Hold them accountable. Put them in jail where they belong. And if it results in, in the death, then we go that way too. Thank you. All right, so Melissa, you'll be the first to answer the next question, and we're um, gonna... I haven't answered this one yet. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, so this one, um, I spent uh, 16 months on the federal grand jury, and that's out of Sacramento, and I was a part of signing 200 indictments, and every time we met, which was twice a month, we had immigration problems that we had to deal with, and that was people coming over the border. Granted, that was a few years ago. Now we have open borders. That is one of the first things that Biden has to do. He's got to close the borders. And then on top of that, um, the whole fentanyl pandemic epidemic is goes right into the homeless factor. Um, I would like, Sacramento's very good about funding programs. I would like to see those programs that end in two or three years and the problems still exist to turn to the, the funds going to mental health facilities within our communities to help our mental health um, situations, whether it's addiction or uh, uh, just a, I don't, I don't even know the word to call it, the proper word to call it, um, uh, just a close down of mental capacity for, the one, for any individual. But... Um, it also is a tool for public safety um, officers to use instead of taking that person that's having that problem to the jail, take them to the mental health facility. So that, those are the two things I would go for. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so the next question will be answered first by Tanessa. Um, I did the first one. I think it's Mark. No, I think we, you've all answered that question. Right, you were the last one to answer it, so now it's her. Yeah. So we're we're no, I went me. 
I did first, then Mark, then Melissa. So it's Mark's turn again. Oh, yeah, she answered the fentanyl question. I did. For, I went first last time. Right. And did Mark answer the fentanyl yes. question? Yes. Yes. So you've all answered the question. Yes. Yes. So we're going to move on to the next question. And Tanessa will... For Mark. Um, oh, and Mark will answer <laughs> it first. Um, and this will come from the union. This will come from Jennifer, Jennifer Nobles from the union. Thanks again for being here. Um, as I've established, I'm a Nevada County native and proud of it. I would like to know, uh, this is kind of a two-pronged question. A, how much research have you done on our county specifically? And B, what would you do to serve our county specifically? I think I've been in your county six times since I started this campaign. What would I do specifically? I'd show up. I'd show up and talk to you and learn from you what your problems are, and then I'll ask you for a solution. Give me the solution, put me in Sacramento, and I'll fight with, for your solution. It's, it's, it, that's a basic question. This is a beautiful county, Nevada City, Grass Valley. I've had a wonderful time up here in, during my campaign, uh, traveling up here for the different forums and, and lunches and dinners, and, and some really nice people. Uh, and you've got a great life up here, and I'd like to see it stay that way. So. When I come up here and I, and I meet with you and we have conversations about the issues, I, I certainly know that one of them is growth and, and you'd like to keep it the way it is. Good luck. I mean, I'll help you, but it, it, it's, it's a paradise up here. And the Bay Area keeps migrating up here. And, and that's what you tell me as I engage in conversations with you here in your district and, and certainly in Nevada County. Um, you've just got a lot to offer and you're going to have to share it. Doing research, I love to do research, but I will also tell you that I have not done enough. I have done some on the mine issue that you had already and you've been dealing with. Um, I also, uh, as being born and raised in the North State, my grandparents lived on Wolf Road in Grass Valley, and I have spent all my years growing up coming to Grass Valley um, to Nevada County. I love this area. Also, as an adult and being a teacher of fourth grade, I love uh, the history that this area is rich in. I love that stuff. Um, so I, and also the biggest thing, I've already said it, is your representative, um, your representation has been lacking, and I will be here. And, and on that note, as a person that's going after that seat and being so close to Sacramento, I apologize that you have not been represented well because for crying out loud, they're only in Sacramento. They should have been up here, period. Thank you. Thank you. Tanessa? Um, so I have been obviously been up here quite a bit and have been representing the county for the last four and a half years working um, in the Senate District. I was here um, when Megan ran for the Assembly because I ran her campaign. So um, I know Nevada um, is quite a magnificent place. Um, I have a few friends here that are telling me often that I should be moving here. <laughs> they might be in the room. Um, so I would say that that's a, that's, a, that's a lengthy question that not just has to have intention, but it, you also have to let that kind of get discovered in the process. And so I can tell you right off the bat, you're always going to have great relationships with your elected officials, um, your board of supervisors, your city councils. It's really important to keep those line of communications open, including the sheriff. 
um, that you are regularly checking in uh, with law enforcement to see how laws that are coming out are affecting them. What are the resources that they're needing? What is the water? What's the fire risk? You know, when there's an emergency, you need to be here. And in those situations, those things sort of evolve and those connections begin to happen when you respond to things that are happening. So I would say intentionally, it's about making sure that you are scheduling time to be in the district, um, intentionally spending time with elected officials to be able to support them, to be able to let them know what's available to them, inviting them up to the Capitol, um, making sure that the people in the community when they testify here have an opportunity to testify in Sacramento as well, because the process continues beyond just this room. It should continue um, in the Capitol as well. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Can, okay. I, uh, can I use one of oh, my Yes, models? you may. Thank you. You know, I, I, I want to add to that that it's going to grow, but you need proper planning. You, you need to, to, to plan the infrastructure to accept the growth that will come your way. It's just growing up here in the North State. People are realizing they want to get out of the traffic in Southern California or in the Bay Area, and this is a great place to live and raise a family. And that, that's really what it's all about. You, you need to elect local officials that share your values, and you can control your growth through proper zoning, whether it be high-density housing or individual homes, minimum lot sizes, uh, distances between homes. That's all things that you can do to keep this community the way you love it right now and still invite people to come and enjoy it with you. Thank you. Uh, so that was, uh, Mark was using one of his rebuttal cards so that he had a one minute rebuttal there. Okay, I got my little grid straightened around. Um, <laughs> Melissa's gonna be uh, the one to answer the next question. This is a community question. Uh, California currently faces a $68 billion budget deficit. What is your approach to this budget deficit and to the California budget in general? <laughs> um, well, as a city council member, we have put it on our city manager to always have a reserve. And reserves are for rainy days in the way of emergencies. And we, why are we not holding any kind of standards to our governor? And we have to. Um, you know, they've got an abundance one year and a deficit the next year. I would ask for a complete audit when we get into office, when I get into office, and find out what really is going on and then address it. But there has to be some transparency because I don't believe him. Thank you. Tanessa? Um, I believe we need to cut spending. Um, our budget is enormous. It's only been growing. And as our tax base is leaving, we've had 1.4 million people leave California. And it means that the budget needs to tighten. You know, we've basically lost jobs. We've lost um, constituents. And so it's time to start cutting spending. Now, nobody wants their program to be cut, but something has to give. We can't continue to grow government and bureaucracies. We can't continue to take money from people's pocket and say, we'll let you know how you're going to spend that with this grant. Politics is just decision making. And either you're going to make the decisions of how your money is spent, or the state of California is going to make the decisions. And so far, that spending has been out of control. Just like I have to manage my budget at home, when less money is coming in, then less money has to go out. So I think we've done a lot. We've had high, high hopes and, ide and ideas of what could possibly be, but they're not actually working. And so it's time for different policies. It's time for a different vision. It's time to find some balance um, in Sacramento. And that is going to begin with cutting spending. Thank you. 
Mark, same question. We need to trim the fat. We're spending too much money in Sacramento, and, and they don't realize it. I'm going to tell you that, that you're going to have to cut some programs, and it's a tough decision to make in some cases, but there are some programs out there that I can't believe we're putting the money that we're putting into them. You know, the other thing that I talk about is when I speak with people throughout this district is, you know, Sacramento mandates all these different programs. You must do this. You must do that. And it costs us money to do that. Do you know they owe the cities and towns in California almost a billion dollars in fees for the mandated programs that they've settled us with? That's ridiculous. They need to pay their bill to the cities that, that, that are supporting them, but, but we're, we're, we're spending way too much money on things. And you look at some of the prices that they pay for, for what we're getting, and you've got to go, if this was a private business doing this, it'd be, it'd be bankrupt. And this state is almost bankrupt. We went from a surplus to a deficit, and we're not bankrupt. But if you were, if you were in a private sector, you would be bankrupt. You'd be out of business spending the money the way Sacramento does it. Thank you. So the next question will be a media question, and Tanessa, you'll be the first one to answer this one, and it'll come from Pascal at UBINET. Let's go back to infrastructure. I like <laughs> infrastructure. So um, uh, AT&T has a petition before the PUC to be relieved of their um, designation as carrier of last resort. Um, so the Reading area may, might be a little flatter than here, but <clears throat> landlines are incredibly important to people in this area because given the absence of broadband, a landline is very often the only connection you can have. There's no cell, tower or cell phone towers. There's nothing else. So, but AT&T wants to be relieved of that <clears throat> quote-unquote burden. <clears throat> would it be reasonable to expect um, our representatives in the assembly to um, make noise at the PUC to have actually to actually guarantee that people could get code red notification in the case of a wildfire on functioning landlines? Yeah, in Shasta County, we have a different, uh, we have an AM radio system because we have a similar issue, and our county invested in being able to provide that so that there was some way to get uh, radio to someone that they need help, um, especially since we don't, we also have that infrastructure issue as well. I mean, I would sit down and listen to what the issue is. Like, we're seeing industry after industry, the way that, that California, that Sacramento has regulated, the decisions, the policies that make don't work for business. So unless the state of California is going to take over all of these industries and provide all of this to its constituents, that really is the only tenable way to do it because the private market can't afford the amount of regulations to actually make money to stay in business. And so I would be listening as a state, as industry after industry is saying, we cannot keep up with your regulations and still stay in business. Um, are there issues with that? Obviously, but what's really important is that people in a crisis have a way to communicate that they need help. And that is something that the government has to care about. How we go about doing that, I think is, as I've stated many times over, the free market um, and deregulation. We have, to, we have to guarantee that people have a way to do it. I'm, I'm not interested in telling you exactly how that's going to be, but I do think that the market wants to solve that problem. We have to allow them to do it. 
Okay, thank you. Mark? Most recently up in Alturas, they had a situation where some thieves cut a, cut a, a line to steal the copper line out of it. That put their communication system completely out. They couldn't communicate with the hospitals or the fire department. There was no backup system set up. And that's one of the things that I want to work towards for the rural communities in Sacramento is we need to come up with a backup system. And I will tell you that um, the cell towers are, are virtually um, fireproof the way they're, they're building them today. And you're going to need more of them. And you're going to have to rely on cellular activity for some of your communication. But there are areas where it won't work. There are areas where you're just not going to get it. There's not enough out there to support it. And so you're not going to get the private sector to, to build it. So maybe you have to come up with a public-private partnership where the, the government gets involved, your local government gets involved with a local provider, and we come up with a system that we can guarantee or, and work towards getting a backup system into the rural areas so that the people up there aren't stranded in the case of a wildland fire or an earthquake. I mean, we have them everywhere in California, and if the phones go out and you can't call for help, I'm out of time. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for this question. It's actually the first time we've actually fielded a question about this, so thank you. Uh, Cecilia Aguilar, who is an assemblywoman out of Winters, she, as a city council member when, when she was at Winters, uh, she actually um, dream, dr uh, beat this drum into the assembly, and she has been talking and, and pushing for broadband. I will personally work with her. I know her. Um, she's a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Let's work together. And um, yes, people are giving up their landlines. I personally gave up my landline to turn it into my cell phone. I actually live in the city as well. I wouldn't have necessarily a problem if there was a, a, a fire or something to the effect of. Um, but for those rural communities, we have to make uh, find a solution. So yes, I will be working on that and with Cecilia Aguilar as well. Thank you. Okay, the next question uh, comes from the community and Mark will be the first one to answer it. Did you answer that one? Did I oh. answer? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, she started oh, with the last question. <laughs> okay, my, my grid is, like I said, it's back on track. Um, okay, so this question came from the community. Access to healthcare is difficult in our rural regions. Access to a full range of women's health care is even more compromised. What will you do to protect your constituents' access to safe, affordable, and medically necessary health care? It's absolutely critical in rural counties. There's, never, there's several things that affect the health care. Number one, it's very expensive here because you have insurance companies that, that fight back and forth about who's paying for what. But up here in the North State, where you've lived for a long, long time, and as we get older, our medical problems become more severe and they require specialists. And you're not getting the specialist up here because it's not economically feasible for them to come up here and work. So you have to travel great distances to get your care as a senior individual. And so that creates a, a burden on the hospitals because the insurance doesn't pay what it's costing them to provide the service. And the seniors up here should be the ones that are most worried about it because they're the ones that aren't going to get the help that they need when they need it. Being that my wife is an operating room nurse, my daughter's a nurse, I'm, I'm well-versed in what's going on in the hospitals. And it's very, very expensive up here in the North State, forcing your residents to go into metropolitan areas to get the care they need. And that's, that's just unfortunate. We could work on that in Sacramento. 
they have to get in there and get involved and subsidize some of the work that these hospitals are doing so they can provide the care that's needed in the rural communities. Thank you. Melissa? So in Modoc County, um, a lady can't give birth in Modoc County because there's no doctors to take care of the just giving the birth, um, as in a gynecologist. Um, so these situations, and they have to do with all the little things. Um, Shasta County's got a shortage of doctors as well. And I have friends that are going to Reno, going to Sacramento, going to the Bay Area, Davis, whatever, wherever they may go, um, because we have shortages. Uh, that has to do with the doctors. We have to be a welcoming place to bring a uh, medical field to our area. The other thing is, is the hospitals. The hospitals I will fight for, I will protect, I will um, go out of my way to work to get funding for our rural hospitals. Um, I have, it's been over 10 years now, but I did five different fundraisers that was called Melissa on the Roof. And I spent 27 hours on the roof of a pizza shack um, to raise money for nonprofits. And by golly, it's been 10 years, but if I have to get on a roof of a hospital in a rural county, I will. We have to fight for their funding. Thank you. Thank you. Tanessa? Uh, in California, we have said that healthcare is a right. We have um, put many people, we've said that you have to have it. You, um, we're, we're putting people on Medi-Cal all the time. Um, but it's not a great system. It's overrun, and we don't actually reimburse at a rate that's keeping those hospitals and those doctors able to continue to stay in business. So we're, I feel like we're at the most um, tipping point of trying to subsidize with the government and just have enough private money to be able to stay afloat, and it's not working. We're crashing the system. And I don't know if, if that's by design, but I know it's not working. As always, like I've said, if we privatize the healthcare industry, we are going to have a better result. Not because I say so, but because that's what history has shown. We've tried to do it a different way. We have tried to more and more add more people to the roles, more people to the system. But I've been on Medi-Cal before, and it's awful service. So yes, it's free, but what, is, what are you getting for it? You're not getting quality. You're not getting managed care. It's not good because it's overrun. So I do think that we need to get back to... Uh, private industry and allowing that to flourish, allowing that to actually drive better care. Thank you. Can I? Oh, yes, you may. Mark is using his second rebuttal card. So one of the things you could do up here in the rural area and throughout California in the rural area where it's a challenge to get a doctor, especially a specialist, it's a very, very daunting task for your hospital administrators. And so one of the ideas that, that would really help you up here and throughout the North State is to incentivize it. Let's offer that doctor a low interest loan on their new house in Nevada City and get them to sign a contract to stay for a number of years. Let's do this. Let's offer to assist them with their student loans, provided they come here and they sign a contract to stay for a number of years. It worked for us in Reading when we were running low on our police officers, and we did that. We offered a $40,000 signing bonus. And with that signing bonus, we gave them $20,000 up front to move into our city, and the $10,000 after breaking, and another $10,000 when they got off probation, and they signed a three-year contract. And we now are at maximum capacity in the history of the Reading Police Department. You could do that with your doctors and your nurses. You can do that with your educators, kids that are coming, the, the young teachers that are coming out of college. Incentivize it for them. Get them to move to Modoc County. 
get them to move to Plumas County by helping them buy a house. Thank you. Okay, the next question will be a media question, and Melissa, you'll be the first to answer. This is going to come from Chris from KNCO. So how would you make higher education more affordable? Sorry. <laughs> um, that is a good question. Uh, higher education, well, first of all, if it's higher, I, I don't know if you're asking for BAs or, or uh, masters or graduate work, um, but I like the scholarship programs, but there's got to be some caps again um, for the um, Cal State throughout the state. They are paying a huge amount to administrators, uh, not the teachers. I would like to see the teachers make always, any teachers make better income. But I would question the administration's income and discuss, have an open discussion about that in the way of capping their administrators' pay. Thank you. Thank you. Tanessa? This will be a shocking answer to everyone. But uh, you should privatize the loans. I know. Yes. Um, Here's the thing. Um, when I went to college, I had a private loan from a bank, and they were they capped what it was. I had to work. I had to do a work program, and I took out loans. I paid for myself to go through college. So that, and I got a Pell Grant as well. So I had all these different mechanisms, but they were only going to give the loan up to a certain amount. I still had to cover the rest. Um, once the government started backing those loans, the cost of college has skyrocketed way beyond the cost of inflation, way beyond what it should be. It's I, I think in the over 100% that it's increased. Um, and so because they can do that, because if the government backs the loan, they continue to charge more for colleges. Bureaucracies grow within that college. And it, that student does, doesn't have more teachers. Um, it's just that the cost of that college has risen and risen and risen. I know in my own college, the student center is, you know, insane as far as what is necessary versus what they actually have. I don't think that every college needs a rock climbing wall and a coffee shop, you know, maybe a coffee shop, but they don't need some leisurely student centers. What they need is an education. What they need is to be able to pay for books. And so I would privatize the loans so that way the market is deciding what that loan is worth and we're not charging astronomical for college. Could you ask me, I didn't catch the whole question. It's about higher education, but what's the actual how do you make it affordable? Solutions to affordable oh. higher education. Great. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's expensive. There was a story on this morning's news regarding the cost of higher education and the value of it. Um, I can tell you that from, from personal experience, college is very expensive. But I think if we could, we could focus and direct today's high school students to get into the trades where we're really lacking. You know, one of the problems that we're having in the building industry is a lack of tradesmen that can do the job. I'm backed by the operating engineers. It's a local union uh, nationwide, but it's certainly in Reading. And they have training programs for these young uh, men and women to get into those trades. I was at a function here recently where I actually met a, a, a carpenter. She was amazing. She could really swing that hammer, and she was making a good living doing it. And she did that without a higher, higher degree of education. If we can move the students in that direction, then that would free up space at the higher learning institutions and that would hopefully drive their costs down. Teachers, in my opinion, are overworked and underpaid. The administrators are getting the fat salaries, and we need to take a serious look at that. Thank you. 
All right, we're going to have two more questions. I'm going to read one from the community, and then we'll have one more media question, and then we'll have uh, closing statements. So, uh, Tanessa, you'll be the first to answer this one. What state assembly committee would you like to sit on and why? Uh, quite a few. Um, I think insurance is probably the one that I think is most important because it's the most pressing. It's what we get calls on constantly, people coming into the office just feeling like not only is there no hope, but they can't not be insured. It's such a difficult place for people to be in where they don't want to sacrifice not having insurance, um, but they can't afford it. I mean, it's gone up thousands of percent. So there's no way um, for people to feel like, well, I'll tell you this, what they're asking for is what are you doing about it? And when you're one of, you know, 80, you have to understand, if you don't understand it, articulate it, get out there and get in front of it, be on the news, be talking about it, um, holding town halls for it. If you don't think that it's serious, if they don't think that you believe that it's serious, then they feel hopeless and they should not have to feel that way. So I would be on that committee. I would be learning. I would be growing. I would be making the arguments and I would be making sure that they're testifying in committees. Thank you. Mark? Well, after 29 years in law enforcement, I think the best place for me to go, certainly as a start out, is the Public Safety Committee. You know, in Sacramento, they say that's where good bills go to die. And part of that is because there are only three legislators in Sacramento with a law enforcement background. Prop 47 has been around for a long time. They've tried to amend it. Well, the Democrats have tried five times. Kevin Kiley tried once, and another one has tried. They don't want to amend it because then they have to admit that it failed. I think we got sold a bill of goods. It didn't make our neighborhoods safer. It didn't make our schools safer. It's allowing criminals to go out and do what they want to do with no consequences. And I would say that, you know, the other thing that you're dealing with here in, in the Public Safety Committee that's plaguing our, our emergency medical system is the wall time, they call it. That's the time that an ambulance has to spend at the hospital with the patient still in the ambulance because there's no room in the emergency room. And that ambulance need, needs to be back out on the street bringing in another patient from another car wreck. So we're, the Public Safety Committee absolutely would be a great place to start for me with my career in law enforcement. I think amongst all the candidates running for this spot, I've certainly got more experience with public safety and fire management. Thank you. Melissa. So with my experience, <laughs> so with my experience in education, I would definitely sign up for that one um, first and second. And the other first and second one I have is public safety. Uh, for the last few years, I've been serving on the public safety committee throughout the League of California Cities. Um, the chair of the committee of public safety in Sacramento right now is extremely liberal. And he is not what you would call supportive of public safety or a cheerleader at all towards public safety. Uh, public safety has gotten a bad rap. And by golly, we value big time our public safety officers, our law enforcement in the city I'm from, which is Anderson. And we, I will fight for tools for our police officers and um, for them to get their jobs done and safety for them. And let's get the public safety committee in the legislature to get healthy. Um, of all things, you're against public safety and you're on the committee. Um, he's making inept, that's a better word than asinine, decisions for our law enforcement officers throughout our state. 
we need to give them the tools for, so crying out so they can, for crying out loud, do their job. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we're going to go to the last question. Mark, you'll be the first to answer. And this is going to come from Jennifer from the union. So we've been talking a lot about our problems and what you'll do to fix them. I'm very curious to know what each of you likes or loves about California. What gives you hope? Why would you want to advocate for our state? In 2020, I didn't like what my city was doing. I was a police officer raising two children. So I decided to run for city council, and I won. Who figured? I won. No committee experience, none of that. Now I don't like what the state's doing, and I've committed to the city of, of Reading for four years. My commitment ends in January of 25. I can do a better job for the state of California and Sacramento. I've been very good at negotiating, certainly in law enforcement, 29 years without a sustained complaint because I was able to convince the constituent, the violator, that what they were doing was wrong and they needed to be held accountable for that. I would like to say that um, you have an opportunity. It's a, it's a calling to get into public service. And for me, because I'm retired and I work my city council job full time, I work, city, uh, I work in the assembly full time. That means I'm traveling around this district, which is 20,000 square miles, when I don't have to be in Sacramento. I don't have a business to run. My children are grown and gone. I want to do this full time, and I want to represent the people because I want to solve their problems, which is why I became a highway patrol officer in the first place. Thank you. Melissa. I love this state. I have had experience with children, and children are our future. Would I want children to come up into our state as it is right now, no. Um, I care for my area. I care for Northern California is gorgeous. And not everybody knows that. And that's OK with me. <laughs> um, let's keep the beauty like it is. But I can easily get sentimental about driving down streets of good memories um, growing up in this place. I am the only candidate that was born here. and. Um, you know, there's just so many things that we need to fix. Uh, so California is that destination that people want to move to. Uh, let's get our, my dad was a small um, business owner, um, one man show, and we had a dream. My mom was a housewife and we had a dream growing up. It, it, it was, we lived a dream growing up and there's no reason why other people can't do that but we've got to make some changes. There is a pendulum, and we've reached the end of the pendulum. Let's get it back. Thank you. Thank you. Tanessa. Um, so I was born here in California. Um, I've been here my whole life. Um, you know, my grandmother came to California when she was 13 years old. They drove here in a car with her five brothers and three sisters and uh, for hope for a future. So why do I have hope? Why do I love California? What gives me the most hope is you that you're here, that you're engaged, that you want better for your families, for your community, that you want to leave a legacy. California is beautiful. It's the place where people come to plant, 
to grow things, to grow their ideas, to grow their business, to grow their family. There's so much to be hopeful for because you're all still here. So when people leave, I've had friends that leave and it just has never deterred me. It makes me want to dig in deeper and to work harder to actually actualize what it is that we've all hoped and wanted. So um, I'm not going anywhere. I plan to stay here. I have hope for us because I have um, seen good things happen. I knocked on a door today, got an email um, within an hour of being there, and the woman said nobody has ever knocked on her door in her 65 years of life, and she appreciated that somebody came and asked for her vote and looked online and said, you actually put information on your website, and I just so appreciate that you're trying to engage. So you, you're the reason why I have hope that things can change. Thank you. And Melissa would like to use a rebuttal card. Rebuttal should be for C for clarification. I am the only res uh, candidate that has been born in the North State. And I was born at Mercy Hospital in Shasta County. Thank you. Right, thank you. Okay, so we're going to move on to closing statements. We're going to go in the reverse order from the opening statements. So Tanessa will go first, Melissa second, and Mark third. Well, thank you so much um, for having me tonight. Um, I have a, a, a great amount of information always coursing through this brain, wanting to share with you. Um, and I put a lot of that stuff on my website because I think it's really important that you get to know my thoughts, what I think, because it should reflect what is important to you. And so um, you can go to my website at votetonessa.com to see some of that and interact. You know, talk to me, email me. My phone number is on there. I'm, I, I want to be um, an, an elected representative that raises your expectation of what representation can look like. I've been um, endorsed by the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. I have been endorsed by Nevada County's uh, GOP, by Placer County's GOP and by El Dorado County's GOP. Um, where I've gone throughout these counties, the people that I've met, um, really the responses that people are excited about, the energy, the experience um, that I bring to the table. Uh, I'm a mom. Parental rights is a very big issue for me. It's a driving issue for me. I have three teenagers. Um, I have seen what's been happening in schools, and I think that it deserves a greater conversation and a greater engagement from parents. Um, I, I will tell you that throughout this district, I've driven thousands and thousands of miles, and I have spent more time at doors of people's homes talking to them about what actually matters to them. And I can say that um, it's not just about um, what you say, but it's about what the response is back. And so I will tell you, um, when, when you go to vote, when you go to look at who you want um, to have as your representative, just understand that that familiarity, that um, experience, the local experience, the state legislative experience um, is important. It matters. I think it, it delineates me. But more importantly, I'm just going to show up. We're going to have the conversation. We're going to talk about what matters to you, even if we disagree. I have a huge, massive family. I have 14 aunts and uncles and their spouses, Democrats, Republicans, all over the spectrum of ideas, but all of them come to the table to talk, and that's what I'm here to do. So if you want to call me, my phone number's on all my literature, please call me and we'll talk. Thank you. Melissa. So thank you so much for this time. We so appreciate the ability to come and meet with you and talk to you, let you get to know us. We want to get to know you as well. Um, I will bring common sense back to Sacramento. 
uh, seems like we are totally lacking it for whatever reason. And I have been endorsed by Drain the Swamp Pack, and I am your MAGA um, Republican candidate. And also I've been endorsed by California Pistol and Rifle Association. My goal is, as I have already spoken about, um, you have had a lack of representation. The whole um, district has, all 11 counties. We need to be heard in Sacramento. And forest management, let's clear our forest floors, open up logging, get some jobs up to the rural communities. Um, so we have the finances coming into our schools to get teachers into our schools and schools open in our rural communities. Also, uh, for homelessness, it is multifaceted, as I spoke about earlier. We need those mental health facilities in our communities to deal with not only the mental health, but uh, addiction problems as well. Fentanyl, close our borders, and our freed felons that our uh, governor did for our communities or our state is not the right solution. Once again, one solution for the state of California is not the right solution for every area. Um, I don't think that's the right solution at all when it comes down to it. Uh, we need to have boundaries and um, consequences for your behavior, and we need to do that throughout our whole state. Um, education, as I have said, is one of my focuses because of my experience, and I have served the constituents of Anderson very well and with excellence. I am there when they call. I am there before they call, and I will do that in the district for District 1 in the Assembly. I would be honored for your vote. VoteMelissaHunt.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mark. Well, thank you. Certainly. Thank you, everyone that came out tonight. I uh, appreciate seeing an audience. Uh, and for those that are listening online, um, if you're still with us, I appreciate you taking the time tonight. It shows your commitment to making California a better place. And it's, it's people like you that, that take an interest, organizations like yours that are educating our voters so that they do elect the best candidates that value what we value. And I do think that times are changing. The young people today are more educated than they were when I was growing up because of the Internet. And they're fighting for things that they believe are important. They want to protect our environment. They want to live a good life. And, and we need to respond to that. When I say I think times are changing, I think you're going to see that tide shift. And you're going to see more Republicans getting elected. If elected, I intend to be, as part of my process, not only protecting the constituents in the North State, but helping to get other candidates elected, other Republicans elected, so that we can share our conservative values here in California. I will tell you that it's important. It's important right now. You have no voice in Sacramento. That's my job. Elect me. Go to my website, markmazano.com. I'd be honored to earn your vote. And with that, I will bring your voice back to Sacramento. I will be on the assembly floor fighting for what you think is important, fighting for your values, because we share those values together. Give me the problems. Give me the solutions. And for 29 years as a law enforcement officer with the California Highway Patrol, I was able to solve those problems. That's what I live for, to help you, to help others, and to make their life better. There's nothing better when, when, when you've saved a life the feeling that comes over you when you've made someone's life better, made it easier, changing a tire on the side of the freeway, helping someone, that's a good feeling, and I feed off of that. 
So, but I need your vote to do that, to get to Sacramento. I need your support, and I'd be honored to earn it. Thank you for this evening. I truly appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, thank you to all of the candidates. Um, and I think we should thank them with a round of applause.